Jimmy Akin's Mysterious World is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. Jimmy Akin's Mysterious World is also brought to you in part through the generous support of Aaron Ferguson Electric and Automation, making connections for life for your automation and smart home needs in North and Central Florida at aaronv.com. And by rosaryarmy.com. Have more peace. Visit rosaryarmy.com and get a free all-twine knotted rosary, downloadable audio rosaries, and more. Make them, pray them, give them away at rosaryarmy.com. And by the Colchester Curry House, helping people make authentic Indian cuisine from the comfort of their home. Find authentic Indian spice blends and recipes at colchestercurryhouse.com. Listening to episode 133 of Jimmy Akin's Mysterious World, where we look at mysteries from the twin perspectives of faith and reason. In this episode, we're talking about people who are taking strange, random, possibly paranormal journeys using their phones. But first, I want to encourage you to stick around to the end of the episode as we'll have your feedback on our recent episodes on the 1973 Pascagoula UFO abductions. But I'm Dom Bettinelli, and joining me today is Jimmy Aiken. Hi, Jimmy. Howdy, Dom. Want to take a magical mystery tour? A strange, random, paranormal journey? There's an app for that. It's called Randonautica, and thousands of people have been following it wherever it directs them. The makers of the app say it uses quantum mechanics to direct you to places that may hold special significance to you. But there can be a frightening side to these journeys. One group of users say they were guided by the app to a place where they discovered dead bodies in a suitcase. Is there anything paranormal about these journeys? Is it all just random chance? And what unexpected results did Jimmy have when he took his own Randonautica journey? That's what we'll be talking about on this episode of Jimmy Aiken's Mysterious World. So Jimmy, how did you first hear about Randonautica? I recently received an email from a young gentleman named Riley, and I appreciate it because at my stage of life, I'm not always up on the latest trends, especially those that appeal to younger folks. But I always welcome topic recommendations, especially if they're accompanied by resource recommendations. So I want to thank Riley for letting me know about this. Since I received his email, I've done a lot of research. It was a fascinating journey that only got more interesting as I dug into the material, and it intersects with other material that I've been planning to do shows on in the future. I even took my own Randonauting journey, which you'll be hearing about in this episode. Jimmy, what is Randonautica? It's an app that you can download on your phone. It will direct you to random places that are near where you presently are located. Its name is based on two roots. The first is random, which means exactly what you think. And the second is the Latin word nauticus, which means something pertaining to ships or sailors. So together, random and nauticus tells you that you'll be going on a random journey, like sailors setting out for a random location in their ship. Randonautica is thus an app that guides you on this journey, and Randonaut is what you call the users of the app. The app is free, and they give you 30 tokens every day that you can use to take different types of journeys. And if you're a power user and need more than 30 tokens, you can get them with in-app purchases. And on what phones can you get this app? Is it available? 
It's available for both iOS and Android, so you can use it on any major smartphone, and there's also a web browser version. So who came up with this app? The idea for the app came from Joshua Langfelder, who conceived of it just last year in 2019. He was a 29-year-old circus performer. The app was then launched on February 22nd, 2020, so a month before the COVID-19 lockdowns. And despite the lockdowns, the app had explosive growth and people started taking random journeys using it. By July of 2020, so just after five months, it had 11 million users. Also, in the same period, the hashtag Randonautica got 175 million views on TikTok. And it's still considered to be in its beta release. So it hasn't even had its formal rollout yet. And it's quite the current internet phenomenon. So how is this different from geocaching? Geocaching is a hobby where you're given the coordinates of a location and you then use the global positioning system or some other technique to go to that location where you find a container known as a geocache. There are different types of caches. The simplest type often just has a logbook of people who've come and found the cache. So when you find it, you sign it and date it to show you were there. Other caches are much more elaborate and may incorporate mystery and game aspects. Randonauting is different from geocaching in that in geocaching, some human being determines the coordinates of the geocache ahead of time. You may not know the place in advance, but before you're given the coordinates, somebody does know. Somebody made a conscious choice to put a geocache there and then distribute the coordinates. Randonautica doesn't do that. It uses random number generators to produce the coordinates so nobody knows in advance where you'll be directed. Not you and not the people at Randonautica. Also, uh, as a consequence of that, nobody can go there and put a geocache. So you won't find a geocache except by coincidence. You may, though, find other interesting stuff at your destination. Why would someone want to go on this kind of random journey? Well, if nothing else, it's meant to be a fun way to explore areas that you wouldn't normally go. Most of us have travel patterns that are very set. We go to work, we go to school, we go to the store, we go to church, and we go home. But these are only a handful of places, and there's a lot more out there that we never see because we tend to just move on certain fixed routes between fixed points. By taking a random journey, you get to see places and things, even in your own area, that you would otherwise never see. Couldn't you just go for a random walk or drive without using an app? You could, but humans are not good at doing things in a truly random way. We tend to follow patterns, even if we're not fully conscious of them. I can speak to that myself because as a result of COVID, I had been driving my truck so little that the battery died and I had to get it replaced. And so now to keep up the charge, I take a drive every week. And even though I don't have a, any particular place to go on that drive, I'm trying to explore a little, but I still find myself sticking to routes I know pretty well. But by turning the decision of where to go over to a random number generator, you're virtually guaranteed to go someplace and see some things that you'd otherwise never see. You'll also likely be taking a route that you otherwise wouldn't take, and you'll get to see a bunch of new stuff along the way. So viewed from that perspective, Randonautica is a tool that helps you break out of your everyday routine and explore your area. You said that you'll get to see new stuff on a random journey, quote, if nothing else. 
Is there more to what Randonautica tries to offer? Yeah. For some years, parapsychologists have been researching the possible effects of human consciousness on random number generators. Uh, This is part of the study of telekinesis or psychokinesis or remote influencing, as it's also called. Because influencing computerized random number generators would involve changes on the very small scale, like what path an electron decides to go down, this is often classified as micro-psychokinesis or micro-PK. That contrasts with large-scale or macro-PK, like levitating a person or a table or telekinetically bending a spoon. The idea in this case is that people may be able to mentally influence random number generators either deliberately or without meaning to. The most famous study on this subject is called the Global Consciousness Project, and we're going to talk about it in a future episode. Since 1998, the Global Consciousness Project has had random number generators they call eggs set up at various points around the world, and the people running the project look for correlations between what the eggs are doing, you know, what their random number output is, and what's happening in the world. The idea is that 7 billion, the 7 billion people who live on Earth may be unconsciously affecting the randomness of the generators based on what they're thinking about. It's claimed that there, for example, that there was a dramatic shift in what the random number generators were doing when the September 11th attacks happened back in 2001, and suddenly everybody was thinking about those attacks. Needless to say, we'll be discussing MicroPK and the Global Consciousness Project and its eggs in a future episode. Randonautica seeks to incorporate the same principle. It invites people to form an intention of what they'd like to find on their journey. Then you hit the button to access the random number generator and you get your coordinates. And hopefully what you find along the way to your destination or at your destination will correspond to your intention and be illuminating in some way. Do they claim that this parapsychological aspect of the app actually works? They acknowledge that they aren't doing a controlled scientific experiment, so they can't claim proof that it works. As a result, it's more of a Maybe it does, maybe it doesn't thing. But for a lot of users, it's fun to think about or at least pretend. If the coordinates are random, how do you avoid taking a trip that's really long, like longer than you want it to be? The app picks coordinates randomly within a zone that's centered on your current position. When you open the app, it shows you a map with you at the center and a circle around you that it will pick the coordinates from. The default radius of this circle is 2.5 miles or 4 kilometers, but you can use your fingers to expand or contract the circle so that it won't take you on a journey that's longer than what you want. If you don't change the radius of the circle, the location you go to will always be within 2.5 miles of where you are now. Won't random coordinates sometimes do things like direct you onto private property or into a body of water or back to the same place you just left? Absolutely. A truly random process will do all of those things. That's something that Apple discovered when they first rolled out the iPod. Users complained that if you randomly shuffled the songs, it would sometimes play the same song more than once in a row, which was annoying. But that's what a random process will do. It can repeat the same result more than once. As a result, Apple shifted to a pseudo-random shuffle that won't play the same song twice in a row. 
Randonautica, though, uses real random number generators, so it can do things like send you to the same place more than once or direct you onto private property or into a body of water. And what are you supposed to do in those cases? When it comes to coordinates that are in a body of water, their FAQ page suggests the following. If the point is in the middle of the water, there are a few options. One, you could try getting as close as possible. Two, if you have the equipment, the water is safe to traverse, and you have the necessary skills, you could try swimming or boating, etc., to the point. Three, if you live near the water, you may find it frustrating to receive water points so frequently. If this is the case, you can pay a small fee to exclude water points. And when it comes to private property, here's what the FAQ says. If the coordinates you are given are in a restricted territory or private property, our terms and conditions state that you are not to trespass. To do so would be a violation of our terms and conditions, and any consequence of trespassing would be the user's responsibility. Instead, try to get as close as possible to the point without breaking the law or invading the privacy of others. Don't forget, the journey is often just as meaningful as the destination. They're really serious about not going onto private property. They have another page of the top 10 ways to randonaut responsibly, and the very first thing they say is... Number one, never ever trespass onto private property. We are serious. Get as close to the point as you are comfortable without trespassing onto private property. Never enter someone's backyard without permission. Never enter privately marked wooded or commercial areas. Trespassing onto private property is a direct violation of the user agreement for Randonautica. Owners and law enforcement will see the user as liable for trespassing or damages, not Randonautica. Do not trespass. They continue by saying, Number two, stay totally clear of dangerous areas. Never go near train tracks, railways, or restricted electrical or power zones. Additionally, old structures, houses, and buildings should be avoided entirely. The structural integrity could be jeopardized due to deterioration. Number three, only adventure during the day. The human mind is not trained for uncertainty, and traveling to a totally randomized set of coordinates requires you to over-observe your surroundings and practice situational awareness. This is much easier to do while it is light outside. Randonauting at night is highly discouraged. Of course, a lot of randonauts totally ignore the don't go randonauting at night advice. If you watch online videos of people randonauting, they're doing it at night all the time. Part of the fun for them seems to be going out in the dark and scaring yourself by going to a strange place and letting your imagination run away with you. For what it's worth, the other seven of the top 10 ways of randonauting responsibly are leave the environment better off than when you arrived, so take a bag and pick up trash. Always randonaut with a charged phone. Keep a positive mindset. Go on the journey with a friend or a small group. Do not venture into areas outside your comfort zone. Always use common sense when it comes to your personal physical limitations. And enjoy the whole journey, not just the destination. So that's all pretty common sense advice, even if it's also widely disregarded. Rendonautica has some unusual jargon. It talks about things like quantum points, anomalies, attractors, and voids. What are those all about? 
Quantum point is just a buzzword that they use to sound cool and mysterious. Uh, what they really mean is a set of coordinates that has been selected by a quantum random number generator. But everything is cooler when you put quantum in front of it, so they do. In this case, at least, they really are using quantum random number generators, so they aren't invoking the word quantum with absolutely no basis like a lot of people do. And what about anomalies? With any random process, you don't expect a totally smooth distribution of results. For example, if you flip a coin over and over again, you don't expect it to just alternate heads, tails, heads, tails, heads, tails every time. Instead, it'll go heads, tails, tails, heads, 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 tails, heads, tails, tails, heads, heads, tails. So you'll get streaks where the heads are bunched up together or the tails are bunched up together. If you plot random points on a map, you'll get some areas where the random number generator picked a bunch of points right next to each other. And you'll also get areas where the random number generator didn't pick any points. So the points won't be evenly smoothly distributed. Randonautica calls the high and low density regions anomalies. The high density areas where the random number generator picked a bunch of points are called attractors because they attracted a bunch of random points. The low density areas where the random number generator picked a few points are called voids because they are empty or relatively empty of points. They also have a third kind called a power anomaly, which is an attractor or a void with an especially large number or an especially small number of points. The power anomaly is considered the most powerful type of anomaly, as the name would suggest. And why would anyone care about anomalies? If it were true that human consciousness could have an influence on random number generators, then the attractors and voids might somehow be related to your intentions, like the Global Consciousness Project claimed to detect people's reaction to the 9-11 attacks with their random number generators. So Randonautica suggests that there may be a correlation between your intention of what you'd like to find on your journey and the anomalies that the random number generator produces. but they don't claim to know what that relationship is. It might be that an attractor anomaly will best lead you to your intention. It might be that a void anomaly will best lead you to your, your intention. It is thought, though, that a power anomaly has the best chance of doing so. And how do you form an intention? According to the help section of the app, just think about what you want to find and generate a point. The thought process itself should influence the generation process Therefore, it is not necessary to enter an intention into the app. So just think about what you'd like to find at the destination when the point is being generated. And what are you supposed to do when you get there? According to the help section of the app, Explore. We do not know what exactly you will find outside the pattern of our daily lives. If you are studying mind-matter anomalies, that is, ones involving an intention, check if there are things nearby that you thought about when you generated the point. If this is a single random point, see if this place is familiar to you and what is new and unusual in it. So look around and see what's there. If you're just taking a random journey with no intention, just see what's interesting. And if you're doing an intention experiment, see if anything fits the intention you established. Do they have any recommendations about how to improve your odds of finding something that fits with your intentions? One is to follow a practice called chaining, which involves keeping the same intention as you generate new random locations one after another. 
For example, let's say your intention is fish. You want to find something that has to do with fish. Well, you set your intention as fish and generate your first random point. After you go there, you keep the intention fish and generate a second random point, and you keep doing that, maintaining the intention as you generate new points one at a time on your random journey. Allegedly, your chance goes up of finding something that has to deal with your intention by the time you visit the third location. So notable improvement if you chain the intention. Do people find things that fit with their intentions? Many claim to. For example, one user on TikTok wrote, My intention was glitch, kind of looking for a sign to know if the reality we live in is a simulation. Guess I found out. And the user has a photo of a cinder block wall on which someone has spray painted, this is the sign you've been looking for. So he took that as a sign we're living in a simulation. Although the same message would be taken in other ways by anyone else who saw it and happened to be looking for a sign of some sort. It's ambiguous and it can mean whatever you want it to. If someone is looking for a sign that God exists, it can mean that. If someone's looking for a sign they should get married, it can mean that. And if someone's looking for a sign that they should go back to school, it can mean that. So by meaning everything, you can argue it really means nothing. Another user wrote, My intention was a sign for my late grandmother, and coordinates took me to this point. Her name was Betty Ann. And the user has a photo of a street sign that's at the intersection of Stock Lane and Betty Ann Drive, suggesting her grandmother Betty Ann. Another person wrote, My intention was confidence. This was painted on a letterbox. And they have a picture of a letterbox with the words no fear painted on it, suggesting a position of confidence. So there are definitely users who report that they find things corresponding to their intentions. Do users ever set really dark or sinister intentions? Absolutely they do, though Randonautica discourages this. According to their FAQ, It is recommended to think about something positive, since the system does not have protection against the implementation of negative intentions. But many users want the thrill of encountering something spooky or frightening, and they set that intention all the time. They also go out and do this activity at night when things are spookier for humans since we're diurnal rather than nocturnal. Randonautica even has sections in their FAQ that deal with anxiety and what they call the despair meme that can affect random journeys. Every thought can potentially affect your intention, so avoid expecting bad things to happen. If you are too anxious and constantly thinking about bad things, Try to distract from negative thoughts, meditate or detach using other methods, or delay your trip for a while until you are feeling better. In the context of randonauting, the despair meme manifests itself as a feeling of unreasonable anxiety when visiting new places. It can cause irrational fears about visiting points and the suggestion that there may be something bad lurking there, as well as a paranoid feeling that you're being watched and a desire to leave the location. Over time, the brain develops the habit of finding and exaggerating threats in everything in order to recreate the despair meme pattern, which is why we begin to build negative expectations for no reason. To sum up, try to detach from your expectations of randonauting. You may have heard creepy stories, but in reality, if you look at all of the reports, the positive or neutral experiences far outweigh the negative or frightening ones. Approach randonauting as simply a way to explore the world around you, and you will be far less likely to experience despair meme.
much of the time, the creepy stories about Randonautica that you find on TikTok or elsewhere on the internet are just people letting their imaginations run away with them. For example, I've seen stories where people went out at night to a random location and found people there. And this is supposed to be really creepy for some reason. Oh, no, we went somewhere and we found people there and we were so scared we drove off without even saying hello. You know, ab absent any other factors, that's just imagination. There's nothing intrinsically sinister about going somewhere and finding human beings there. Have some people actually found objectively frightening things? Yes, the most famous case is one that we mentioned at the top of the program. It occurred up in Seattle, Washington, back in June of 2020. San Jose's Mercury News reports, The bodies of a slain Seattle couple were found by teenagers following an app that promises random adventure. The gruesome discovery was documented in a video one of the teens later posted on TikTok with the caption, Something traumatic happened that changed my life. Henry, who says he's an 18-year-old from Seattle, had gone out on June 19th with friends for an excursion dictated by the Randonautica app. It directed Henry and his friends to a beach in West Seattle. The video shows them investigating a suitcase on the rocky shore, first laughing and joking, and then becoming serious and calling 911. The King County Medical Examiner's Office said the bag, and a second one found in the water, contained the remains of Jessica Lewis, 35, and Austin Wenner, 27, a longtime couple. They had been shot. The police have not revealed any suspects or possible motive. The teen's video has been viewed more than 23 million times. And even though that video is out there on the Internet and I've seen it, we won't be playing audio from it because it is creepy and disturbing. But this is just one case. And if bunches of people go exploring, some of them will find disturbing things, including evidence of crimes. Randonautica has millions of users, and it's statistically guaranteed that with millions of people going to places they don't normally go, some of them will run across such things. So that doesn't prove anything one way or another about randonauting, and that's something we'll still need to look into. And by the way, just to take the edge off the human remains discovery, we'll also have a link to a list of 16 randonaut stories that ha involve happy coincidences, or at least coincidences that the users interpreted as happy. Well, it's no coincidence that now is the time, <laughs> like my segue, to take a moment to thank our patrons who make the show possible, including Father Carl W., Diane S., Martin G., Jorge F., and Tim D. Their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give make it possible for us to continue Jimmy Akin's Mysterious World and all the shows at StarQuest. You can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give. Jimmy Aiken's Mysterious World is also brought to you in part through the generous support of Aaron Ferguson Electric and Automation, making connections for life for your automation and smart home needs in North and Central Florida at AaronV.com. And by RosaryArmy.com. Have more peace. Visit RosaryArmy.com and get a free all-twine knotted rosary, downloadable audio rosaries, and more. Make them, pray them, give them away at RosaryArmy.com. And by Colchester Curry House, helping people make authentic Indian cuisine from the comfort of their own home. Find authentic Indian spice blends and recipes at colchestercurryhouse.com. So, Jimmy, let's turn to our theories. What theories are there about randonauting? There are two basic theories about using randonautica to find things based on your intention. The first theory 
is that it doesn't work at all. And so anything you find is due to random chance and not due to your intention. The second is that your intention could have an influence on the random number generator, in which case the question is what causes that influence? It could be a natural human ability like micro-PK is supposed to be, or it could be due to a supernatural agency like demons or angels or God. We need to investigate each of these theories as well as what implications there may be from the faith perspective. Let's begin with the faith perspective. Before we hit the main faith question, why does Randonautica have an owl on its logo? It's not anything occult or supernatural. Every app needs a memorable logo as part of its branding so that people can recognize it on their phone, and Randonautica's happens to be an owl face. There are two reasons for this, one historical and one ongoing. The historical reason is at some point early in the app's development, one of the workers at Randonautica decided to try his own intention experiment by putting a random object on top of the server they were using. The random object he chose happened to be a figurine of an owl. And after they put it on the server, they noticed a lot of the user reports they got back started to mention owls. That was an unusual coincidence, and so the owl became a kind of mascot. The ongoing reason for it is, as they explain in their FAQ, that owls see in the dark and randonauts venture to places outside their conscious awareness. So randonauts explore things they otherwise wouldn't see, like owls see things in the dark, kind of, sort of. It's not a perfect analogy, though owls are a symbol of curiosity because of their big eyes. And that's what I would suggest to Randonautica as their explanation for the owl. But the real reason is early on, it became a mascot because of the random object experiment. And then they tried to give it an exploration based significance. So does Randonauting conflict with the Catholic faith? The makers of the app hit this question square on the head. According to the FAQ on their website, You may have heard or sensed that this app can be used for spiritual purposes such as manifestations, magic, etc. It is true that many randonauts use the app for these sorts of things. However, the app is simply a tool. Just as a knife can be used either to prepare dinner or to cut somebody, randonautica can be used to simply take a walk or drive to a new location or it could be used for rituals or purposes that may indeed be against your religion. Simply put, you do not have to use the app in any way that contradicts with your spiritual beliefs. If you still have concerns, we recommend that you consult leaders of your faith. And that seems to me to be a fair and straightforward answer. The app really is just a tool. It's a map with a random number generator. Using it is like taking a paper map with you and rolling a pair of dice to see what part of the map grid you go to. The map in this case is just on your phone and you're accessing a server that functions as a fancy pair of dice. And in and of itself, that's no big deal. If you're just using it to go to a random place you've never been before so that you can get out of your day-to-day -day routine and see something new, there's nothing contrary to the faith in that. Not any more than closing your eyes and stabbing your finger onto a map to pick a random location to visit. However, if you're doing it as part of a magic ritual, or you're praying to pagan gods, or if you're asking demons to guide the roll of your dice, it will not be compatible with the faith. However, if you're not doing any of those things, then there's no intrinsic conflict. 
you might even ask God to guide the roll of the dice, in which case you're doing a version of what's known as sortilage, where you use a process that humans don't control the outcome of and ask God to give you a sign. And as we discussed in episode 106 on Aquinas and the Occult, sortilage is legitimate in some circumstances. It's even used in the Bible in both the Old and the New Testament. However, for reasons I mentioned then, I do not recommend that people use sortilage without having a careful understanding of it, which we haven't yet had a chance to talk about on the show, though we will in the future. What about if you're using it as a test of psychic ability, like the ability to influence a random number generator? We also talked about that in episode 106 and in episode 79 on religion, magic, science, and psychic phenomena. The idea is that if psychic powers exist, they are natural human abilities that God built into human nature. And as we saw in the episode on Aquinas, he thought humans do have a weak natural ability to remotely influence things, or what we would now call psychokinesis. If God built that into human nature, then the burden of proof would be on you to show that it can never be used, because God doesn't seem to have given us fundamental abilities that can never be used. It would be a question, then, of whether you're using the ability in the right way and for the right purpose. So, if humans have a weak natural ability to influence random number generators, it would not be wrong in principle to use that. And it would not be wrong to experiment to find out if such an ability exists, if God really put that in us. Uh, you know, and that's what the Global Consciousness Project's trying to figure out. However, you also have to use critical thinking in evaluating whether such an ability exists. You can't just credulously assume that it does if that isn't where the evidence points. God also gave us the gift of reason to figure out how the world and human nature work, and we shouldn't ignore what reason tells us. How's that for a segue? <laughs> well, then, what can we say about rando nodding from the reason perspective? Uh, let's start with the theory that there's nothing paranormal going on here, and it's all due to random chance. That's what scientists refer to as the null hypothesis, that the results of any given experiment are simply due to random chance. And this is the hypothesis that needs to be overcome in a scientific experiment or set of experiments. You need to show that the results are significantly above random chance if you want to claim something more than chance is involved. Now, there is no normal explanation for why your intention would affect a random number generator. So if you could show better than random chance results in that case, you'd be looking at a paranormal explanation of some kind. Unfortunately, Randonautica is not a controlled laboratory experiment. As their FAQ says, The project does not claim to meet academic standards. We are somewhere in the middle between a game, science, and art, and we try to take as much as possible from each of them. Consequently, they aren't gathering high-quality scientific data, meaning that it won't be possible to make a scientific assessment of whether anything beyond random chance is going on here. At this point, all you can do is impressionistic armchair speculation. All right, let's do some speculation then. What do you make of the coincidences that people have been reporting on TikTok when they go randonauting? One possibility that we always have to consider is hoax. 
because people perpetrate hoaxes. They can especially perpetrate hoaxes when they're after a goal like getting likes or clicks in hopes of building an audience and getting internet fame. Or they may just want to entertain or freak out their audiences. Average TikTok users have not built a reputation for having a high degree of professionalism, and absent significant evidence otherwise, one would have to take seriously the possibility of randonaut hoaxing on TikTok. For example, we earlier looked at three cases where TikTok users had posted pictures of things that they said they found that corresponded to their intentions. One was some graffiti that said, this is the sign you're looking for. One was a street sign that had Betty Ann Drive on it. And one was a letterbox that had no fear on it. I can't prove that any of these were hoaxes, but it's possible that one or more of them was. The people may have taken the pictures first and then come up with an intention that fit them and posted them on TikTok to entertain their audiences with these supposed coincidences. They may not have even undertaken random journeys at all. They may have known where these things were and deliberately gone there to take pictures of them to fit an intention that they came up with. Or, especially in the case of the graffiti on the wall, they may have made what they took the picture of. I mean, the the guy could have spray painted, this is the sign you're looking for, taken a picture of it, and then put it on TikTok. So not all coincidences could be explained that way. What about the ones that aren't hoaxes? There are undoubtedly a lot of these, and they can have different natural explanations. Random chance is one. You know, people, you've got millions of people going out there to look for something. Some of them are going to find it. Another uh, possible natural explanation is confirmation bias. Confirmation bias is the tendency to read evidence in a way that supports or confirms what you already expect or believe. All human beings are subject to confirmation bias, and if you want to avoid it, you have to cross-examine yourself. That's one of the things we try to do here on Mysterious World by examining different viewpoints and possibilities so that we don't simply fall into a pre preferred narrative due to confirmation bias. So if you set off on a random journey with a really general intention, like, I want to find something that makes me happy, or I want to find something scary, or I want to find something surprising, it's almost guaranteed you will. Those intentions are too general to tell you anything meaningful because on any journey to any place you haven't been before, you're very likely to come across things that you could interpret as being happy, scary, or surprising. That's even more the case because Randonautica tells you to look not just at what you find at your destination, but also what you see along the way there, which expands the number of locations where you might find something that fits your intention. Confirmation bias is undoubtedly the explanation for many of the reported coincidences that Randonauts report. If you want a more meaningful test, you need an intention that is more specific and that can't be stretched to cover all kinds of different things with confirmation bias. That's why in the random journey I took, I formed a very specific intention for the experiment. I picked something, as you'll hear, that would be possible for me to find, but that I wasn't likely 
to find because the item in question is usually kept indoors and I wasn't going to be going indoors because I would be staying off people's private property like the app says to. Before we get to that, what about cases where people found very specific things like the bodies in the suitcase? I'm not sure what intention the teenagers who found that had, if they had any intention, because they may have just been using the app to explore a new area. It's clear if you watch the video that they did not intend to find human remains. In fact, one of their first thoughts was that the suitcase might contain money, and they were horrified when they realized what it might actually be. So it appears this wasn't a case of them finding something corresponding with their intention. Since they found something sinister, some people might wonder if that's evidence of the demonic. Could that be the case? Anything could be the case. It could have been random chance. It could have been natural but poorly understood human abilities. It could have been demons. Or it could have been angels or the hand of God that led them to the body. While anything can be explained by demons, no phenomenon should be assumed to be produced by demons until evidence for this hypothesis, just like any other hypothesis, is at hand. The mere fact that app use sometimes leads to scary things is not sufficient evidence, as random chance would sometimes lead you to scary things. So would random chance plus an intention of finding something mysterious or frightening. And just as one can explain anything by demons, one also can explain anything by angels. For example, maybe the teens who found the dead bodies were guided there by angels to help provide justice for the dead people and closure for their families. So consider this. The teens discovered the remains on June 19th, and the police took the apparent perpetrator into custody just two months later. His name is Michael Lee Dudley. He's 62 years old, and he was arrested on August 19th. According to the police probable cause document, On 6-19-20, in the evening hours, uniformed officers of the Seattle Police Department, SPD, responded to a call at 1150 Alkey Ave Southwest, located in the city of Seattle, county of King, and the state of Washington. The 911 caller was reporting that she and her friends had located a large suitcase on the rocks by the water. She and her friends had opened the suitcase and found a black trash bag inside with unknown contents, but a foul smell was coming from the trash bag. When SPD officers arrived, they located two suitcases. In the suitcases were garbage bags that contained human remains. The remains would eventually be identified at the King County Medical Examiner's Office as Austin Wenner and Jessica Lewis. The King County Medical Examiner would rule their deaths as homicides from gunfire. Detectives learned through interviews of family and friends that the two victims were last seen at 16466 Ombaum Boulevard South in Burien, Washington. Detectives learned that the property belonged to Michael L. Dudley. Detectives obtained the phone records of the victims and learned that their phone stopped transmitting or receiving data on 6920 at approximately 1908 hours. One of the last calls from the victim's phone was to Dudley at 1901 hours. So just seven minutes earlier. And that call pinged off a cell phone tower within a mile of 16466 Ombaum Boulevard South. So Dudley was within a mile of the same address at the time the last call was made. Detectives learned from witnesses that Dudley had been renting a room to the victims, but wanted them to leave and had been fighting with them. 
Detectives were able to gain a search warrant for 16466 Ombon Boulevard South, and it was served on 8-1920. Dudley was taken into custody and taken to the SPD Homicide Office. During the service of the warrant, CSI detectives found bullet holes, bullet strikes, spent rounds, and blood was found in the Blue Room. Detectives also interviewed neighbors that told them that they had called 911 on 6920 because they had heard gunfire from inside the house and then yelling from a male, please don't do this, just let me leave. Burian police responded but got no response when they went to the residence. A witness told detectives that she had come to the residence on 6920 in the late evening hours. She stated she had seen an outlined figure of a person under a pile of clothes with a bloody arm sticking out of it in the blue room. She told detectives that Dudley then asked her to leave because he had to clean up his mess. When she returned to the house, she asked him what had happened, and he told her that his gun worked and his didn't. Dudley was interviewed and told detectives that the victims stayed with him during the COVID quarantine period. He stated it was just the three of them. He admitted that the victims did stay in the blue room at his house. He had charged them $1,500 a month in rent, but they were not able to pay it. He admitted to having arguments with the victims. He stated that he owned a 9mm handgun, and it was in his vehicle that we arrested him in. When asked about the blood found in the blue room, he told us that Jessica had cut herself before, and when asked if the blood was hers, he stated he didn't know. He could not explain the bullets or the bullet holes in the blue room. It was also obvious that the room had recently been painted and cleaned. After the interview, he was booked into King County Jail. So Jessica Lewis and Austin Winter were apparently killed on June 9th. Neighbors heard the gunshots and called 911, but the police got no response when they showed up, so the apparent killer got lucky. Then one neighbor saw Jessica's arm sticking out from under a pile of clothes, and he basically admitted what happened, saying his gun worked and the other guys didn't. Yet the neighbor didn't tell the police, and so the apparent killer got lucky again. Then, Randonautica guided the teens to the remains on June 19th, 10 days later, and Michael Lee Dudley was arrested on August 19th. After two lucky escapes, the killer apparently was caught just two months after the Randonautica journey. And it also helped the family. According to Westside Seattle, Jessica's aunt, a woman named Gina Jashke, posted the following statement on GoFundMe. I believe they got the monster who did this to them. Please continue to pray for their conviction in a court of law that justice will be served. And I want to thank the Seattle Police Department and all their help finally being able to get this guy and anybody else involved. In the midst of their police chief resigning over the lack of support from the Seattle City Council, to the protests and defending of their department. Through all of that, they never wavered on their professionalism and promised to help our family in any way they could. God bless them for being diligent through all of that and helping us finally be able to sleep at night. So rather than this being a demonic thing, you could make a strong case that the hand of God was working to bring justice to the victims and their killer and closure to the families. Okay, so now let's talk about the randonautica journey that you took. I'm sure it wasn't nearly as dramatic as that one. No, it certainly wasn't, but I think you'll find it interesting. I actually took two journeys, one just to use the app to explore, since that's one of its purposes, and one as an intention experiment. For the intention experiment, I formed a specific intention that should not be subject to confirmation bias, 
and it was something I wouldn't expect to find in the outdoor areas I was going to go to since it's almost always kept indoors. As you'll hear, I used a lot of randomness in these journeys. I even added more random elements than Randonautica itself uses, and I really did not know where I would end up going. I took these journeys on Thanksgiving morning since I had the day off, and I thought I would do them in the town of El Cajon, California, which is where Catholic Answers is located. So let's travel back in time to Thanksgiving morning and hear what happened. Okay, it's Thanksgiving morning, and it's Southern California, so it's bright and sunny, but also a little bit chilly. And to start our random journey, I decided to add an extra layer of randomness, and I drove to a random location. I took several random turns, and I'm not actually sure where I am, although it is in a residential neighborhood on the top of a hill. So let's fire up the program and see where we go. Now, you know, there are the two purposes of Randonautica. One is to just go to interesting locations you've never seen before. The other is to do the intention-based experiment. So we're gonna start with the first. I'm going to just go to a random location I have no intention for. Randonautica has more than one type of random number generator. Uh, the first type is not the quantum-based one, and it's free. You don't have to pay any tokens in order to uh, use that. So I'm gonna use that for my first, just let's go somewhere different journey. So I'm bringing up Randonautica, and I've got the default radius, and I'm using their pseudo-random rather than quantum function. Let's generate a location, here it goes. Generated point. Pseudo blind spot, start journey. Says it's 2.3 miles away and is an eight minute drive. So let's find out what's there. So since they say that the journey is as important as the destination, I'll narrate a little bit. On my way there, I'm coming down this hill on a rather winding road, passing by this type of long, tall cedar-like trees that I uh, gather go back to the Roman Empire. I've been told they're endangered now, but I don't know if that's true. I have my first turn, and I'm supposed to go half a mile before my next turn. And I can see these houses here have rows of more of those long, tall cedar trees. They're really picturesque. They're not uh, like the palm trees that you see lining some streets here in Southern California. Those are especially famous up in L.A., but you also get them down here in San Diego. Another common type of tree you see are eucalyptus trees, and I've got one of those over here. You don't want to park under those if you can avoid it because they will drip sap all over your car. I'm not in a residential area anymore. I'm uh, in a two-lane highway that uh, is on a hillside. Of course, it's all very picturesque in Southern California. Oh, there's a street uh, neighboring me that has that nice classic line of palm trees that you see in the movies. And I'm supposed to make a kind of hairpin turn here. That's very interesting. Okay, so let's do that. Oh, it's a roundabout. Well, then let's do the roundabout way. I'm going to circle around the roundabout. 
one way. Yes, that's very important in a roundabout. Coming into another residential area, this one is a little older. Not much traffic today, which is kind of what you'd expect on Thanksgiving morning. Still a little early for people to be moving around and going to houses to the extent they're going to be doing that this year, which I'm sure is more than the California Department of Health would like them to. And here comes my next turn. It's another right. Oh, this last little bit of the journey uh, has some interesting turns involved. It's kind of like a broken, bent-up question mark. And I'm approaching the generated point. Okay, so I am here. I will pull over and get out and walk around because that's what they say you're supposed to do. So as I said, I'm at my point. Across the street from me is a house that has a nice sign in their lawn. It says, thank you, essential workers. And indeed, that's something that we can all be thankful for. They do essential work. I'm at another house. Obviously, they say don't go on private property, so I'm not going to. I'll just describe what I'm seeing. Uh, it's a single-level ranch house, and it's got a blue Prius automobile in the driveway with a bumper sticker that says coexist. Also, we've got some Christmas decorations up. There are three penguins. Uh, they're cutouts of penguins, uh, wooden painted cutouts, and they're wearing Christmas stocking caps. Not a lot to see here. It's a pretty neighborhood, very quiet, not a lot going on. And, you know, uh, in terms of this first random journey, I'd say it, you know, performed pretty well. It met my expectations. I didn't have an intention. So this was just a trip to go somewhere I hadn't been before. And that's definitely something that happened. I've never been here before. Looks a lot like the rest of the area, but it's picturesque and kind of nice to see something new. So let's start with the intention experiment. I've traveled back in time to before I left on my Randonaut journey, and I'm thinking about what kind of intention I should form. I want it to be something that is not just everywhere, but I also want it to be something that's fairly rare so that there is a chance that I will be guided to it, but it won't be so common that no significance could be attributed to it. It's a little difficult to come up with a specific concrete intention that wouldn't be influenced by my knowledge of what's in the area overly much. So I decided to look at some random noun generators online. I mean, if this is a random process, why not have the intention be random or at least partly random? So the first noun generator that I looked at wasn't very helpful. It had a lot of very, very common things. I'm looking at a list of random nouns from this generator, and it includes things like air. Well, I'm pretty sure there's a lot of air in my environment since I'm located on the surface of the earth. Also, it's showing me the word rock. And of course, there are also lots of rocks on the surface of the earth. So I found a somewhat more sophisticated random uh, noun generator. And this one is showing me some things that are clearly outside the scope of probability of finding, like Perugia. That's a town in Italy. It's also showing me things that are extremely common, like eukaryotic. Well, okay, 
eukaryotes include all animals, plants, and fungi. And so no matter where I went, I would be guaranteed to find something eukaryotic. So let's look a, a little bit further down this list of uh, random nouns and see what I find. Skeet. Well, there are skeet and trap shooting ranges, but they're a little bit farther away then I'm probably going to go on this random journey. So I'll dismiss that one. Dust mop. Okay, dust mop is pretty good, but all it would have to do for a hit is guide me within sight of a supermarket. And I could claim a dust mop hit because supermarkets out here sell dust mops. How about throw rug? Throw rug's a little harder to find, but undoubtedly there are throw rugs. So we'll go with that one. Let's set the intention for throw rug. Back in my truck now, and we're going to start the intention experiment. I'm bringing back up the Randonautica app, and for this one, I'm going to use the intention that we established before I left home, which was throw rug. By the way, a doormat is not going to count as a throw rug. Doormats and throw rugs are two different things. We're going to do the chaining technique, since that's supposed to produce better results. And we're going to also use the quantum randomness, and we're going to select a power anomaly. Uh, that's going to cost me three tokens. I get 30 every day for free, and so I should be able to chain. They say you, you tend to get good results or have a higher chance of getting a good result after three trips, so that's only going to be nine tokens. And we'll see how that works. I've got the standard default radius of two and a half miles. And my intention is to find the throw rug. And just to be clear, I'm not invoking any pagan gods. I'm not invoking any spirits other than I said a general prayer to God for protection. But, you know, that's uh, something one does commonly. I anticipate any intention effect that this might have being purely natural if it has one at all. So let's generate our first point. It says your point is being generated. Prepare to embark on your journey. Breathe. Well, I do that uh, semi-autonomically, uh, and it's got me a point. It says this is a, a tractor power anomaly, unnamed road. Okay, so it's going to take me to an unnamed road. Uh, it says it's got a Z-score of 4.14, a power of 2.79, and a radius of 0.07 miles. That's the radius, I gather, of the anomaly itself. So we click Start Journey, open in Maps, and I can see in the maps it's got digital coordinates rather than a street address, and we press Start. Head east onto Camp Drive toward Manor Drive, then turn left onto Manor Drive. Okay, here we go. And I'm at a major local mall. Now, if it drove me into that mall, there would be a good chance of me finding a throw rug there. But uh, it's actually not taking me that way. I'm driving past the mall, and we're heading into... Well, it looks like an apartment complex here. Okay, so I'm going to pull over. Modern type apartment, Southern California apartment complex. It's got yellowy, beige, brownish stucco walls and brown trim on uh, the railings and so forth. At the exact moment, 
that it said your destination is on the right. There was a staircase uh, leading up to the second floor of the complex, and there's not a lot else here. It's a pretty bare staircase. It's just uh, cement steps leading up um, on some rails. I assume those are iron. There's a dirt floor under the staircase with some cinder blocks that have been placed there, some footprints in the dirt, not a lot else going on. But I do not see any throw rugs, despite this being an apartment complex where there easily could be no throw rugs visible. So let's get back in the truck and set our intention again. It's going to continue to be finding a throw rug. And let's see how we do. We're preparing to do the second of our intention experiment trip, same conditions as before. I uh, want to generate a new point. It's gonna be another uh, power anomaly point. Let's generate it. The intention is throw rug. Your point is being generated. Prepare to embark on your journey. Breathe. Yeah, like I said, got that whole semi-autonomic thing down on breathing. Clear your mind, okay? New anomaly. Uh, this one is a void power anomaly. It has a street address, Z-score minus 4.05. The Z-score is in terms of numbers of standard deviations away from the mean. Power 0 0.48, radius 0 0.13 miles. Start journey. Open in Google Maps. Start. Head south. This one's eight minutes away. Okay, it's taken me into the parking lot of a strip mall. It's being directed around the back. I am behind the strip mall, and, you know, there's not a lot here. Some doors leading into the back of the strip mall, which has stucco all over it. Uh, there are some lockers that I don't know what's in there. They didn't look like electrical stuff since there are no warning signs. But let's see. Oh, electrical meters. There's a little sign that says, please see store manager for access to electric meters. The two businesses that uh, it directed me to when it said you, the destination is here are a nail spa and a Head Start program. This is a sort of semi-industrial commercial area, and there are train tracks here. And the train, the rail lines actually run through across the street and then through the back of this parking lot. Let's walk a little further down for roof access C-Store Manager, and there's a ladder that uh, you can take up to the roof. Some more of these electric meter cupboards. There is some kind of... Looks like water piping on the outside here. It's got a pressure meter. It says, warning, the fire department will respond if this sprinkler system is worked on before calling and it has a number. So apparently that's running the uh, fire sprinkler system for this complex. Uh, there's also some trash dumpsters, fire plug, but no throw rugs. So, let's get back in the truck and see if the third time is the charm. Let's try this once again. This will be our third point. We're opening Randonautica. Generate new point. Same protocol. We're going for a power anomaly. Generate. Your point is being generated. Prepare to embark on your journey. Breathe. Yeah, totally on that. 
clear your mind, and here's the new power anomaly. This one is a void power anomaly. It has a street address. Its Z-score is minus 4.25, power score 0.58, radius 0.17 miles. Start journey, opening Google Maps. Head north toward Jackman Street. And let's start it up. So we're in a residential neighborhood again. My destination is on the left, so I'm going to park on the right and walk across the street. The house that I'm across from has its Christmas decorations up. There's some nice Christmas trees, also some uh, balloon yard ornaments that have not been inflated yet. It looks like we got a Santa Claus, a polar bear and some snowmen, and a one that I'm not really sure what it is. It looks like Santa Claus is... Uh, gotten uh, involved in a scuffle or uh, possibly imbibed too much eggnog and collapsed. They've also got Christmas tree lights around the roof of the house and they have their garage door open. And what do I spy inside the garage laying on the floor but a throw rug? Hey, there's someone sitting in the garage. I'm waving to him. Hey there. A lady, actually, now that I can see her better, and she's uh, waved me up, so I'm going to come talk to her. Howdy. Uh, I'm just fine. My name is Jimmy Aiken. I'm a podcaster, and I'm doing a podcast about a um, an app called Randonautica that just takes you to random locations. Oh. And so I just came here randomly. And one of the weird things about this app is it encourages you to form an intention of what you'd like to find at your destination. And I formed the intention, I picked a random noun, I formed the intention throw rug. Uh, if my language is not perfect. Oh, no, you're fine. I, <laughs> that's okay. Yeah, I don't need anything, but I just happened to notice it's it, the app encourages you to look around at your destination. And I, you happen to have your garage door open and you happen to have a throw rug right here. So, much to my surprise, I actually found a throw rug. Oh, really? Yeah. So nice to make your acquaintance, ma'am. Thank you. Happy Thanksgiving. Likewise. Happy Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. By the way, uh, where wh where are you from? What's your original language? Uh, Arabic. Arabic. Ah, okay. Chaldean. Chaldean. Yes, yeah. I, I figured. Uh, let's, oh, I'm trying to think of the right word. Um, well, in Arabic, shukran. Shukran, yeah. I and uh, uh, basim raba. Oh, that's good. Thank you, thank you. Or Gyanuk Basimta. Oh, yeah. you know everything. I know a little bit. <laughs> but uh, so nice to meet someone who speaks Arabic and Surat. Yeah. And uh, thank you so much for uh, inviting me up so I could get a closer look. Would you mind if I took a picture of your throw rug? Is that okay? Let's see. So, because I want to prove to my listeners that I actually found one. There we go. Thank you so much. You. Have a wonderful Thanksgiving. Thank you, you too. Bye. Bye-bye. Very nice Chaldean woman. And uh, much to my surprise, we got a throw rug. You'll be able to see my uh, shadow on it. Uh, so shows you I'm actually here. And having uh, successfully completed our mission to find a throw rug by Randonautica, let's get back to the studio.
So we're back in the present. And as you could hear, the lady was a really nice Chaldean woman, meaning she's a Catholic from Iraq. And there are a lot of Iraqi Catholics in the area. El Cajon is something like a quarter Chaldean, I'm told. I could tell her cultural background by the type of decorations and knickknacks she had in her garage, which had been converted into a kind of sitting area. And you could hear the Arabic music she had playing in the background. What I was saying to her in the other languages was thank you. In Arabic, thank you is shukran. And in Surath, the dialect of Aramaic that's spoken as a home language among Chaldeans, thank you can either be said basimaraba or gyanuk basimta, one of which is a little more formal and the other of which is more informal. I make a point of learning the words for hello, goodbye, and thank you in as many languages as possible. That way, I can instantly show a person that I'm friendly and that I know about and respect their culture by using their language when they're not expecting me to. And you could hear how delighted she was when I was able to thank her in her own languages. But discovering the throw rug, that is a rug that's just thrown on the floor rather than being attached to it, was a big surprise, and it forced me to change course. I did not expect to find one at any of the three planned destinations. I mean, after all, throw rugs are normally kept indoors, and since I wasn't going to be going on private property, I didn't expect to go indoors into an environment where you might find a throw rug. And the throw rug I did find was indoors. It was in the lady's sitting area inside her garage. And it's only because she happened to have her garage door open when I came by that I saw it. So finding the throw rug was very unexpected. And I even had what I was going to say after I didn't find a throw rug planned out. So... I had to change course, but I need to share that with you because I'm sure a bunch of the time you won't find your intention if you pick a really specific one. Therefore, let's travel to an alternate timeline where I didn't find the throw rug so I can tell you what I would have said. So you didn't find a throw rug? No, unfortunately not. But... There may be a reason for this. Here's part of what the Randonautica website's FAQ says about setting an intention. An overly skeptical attitude can also reduce the probability of success. Since the system does not know how to understand your thoughts, it only leads you to the outcome that you expect. If you expect confirmation that the system is not working, then you will receive it. Even though I tried to be open-minded, I didn't really expect to find a throw rug. I was skeptical of this happening, so you could say that my skepticism is why I didn't find one. The FAQ even points out that a skeptical attitude can diminish your chances of success. The question is what to make of this kind of situation. On the one hand, from a skeptical perspective, you could say that this is just an easy out, that it's a convenient explanation and that there really is no ability of human consciousness to influence things like random number generators. And that's all true. It could be just an easy way to randomize failure. But that's not automatically the case, because there are situations where being skeptical will generate failure. Suppose that you suffer from stage fright. If you have to give a speech before people, and you tell yourself, I can do this, I'm not going to freeze up on stage, then you have a lot better chance of successfully giving the speech. 
But if you take a skeptical attitude and you say to yourself, there's no way this is going to work, I'm going to freeze up for sure, then you are much more likely to choke on stage. We see the same thing in the Bible, where in some towns where there are a lot of people who have faith in Jesus, he works big, impressive miracles. But in other towns, he encountered people who didn't have faith, and so he didn't do more than heal a few sick people. The same phenomenon has been encountered in psychic research, where it's called the sheep-goat effect. The name is actually based on Jesus's parable of the sheep and the goats in Matthew 25. Here's what the UK's Society for Psychical Research says in their Sci Encyclopedia. The term sheep-goat effect was coined by Gertrude Schmeidler, 1913 to 2009, professor of psychology at City University of New York. Schmeidler categorized participants in paranormal experiments as either those who think that ESP is possible under a given experimental condition, sheep, or those who reject this possibility, goats. The sheep-goat effect refers to the significant paranormal psi performance difference between sheep and goats, whereby sheep tend to perform well in psi tasks, scoring above mean chance expectation, whereas goats tend to perform poorly in psi tasks, scoring at or below mean chance expectation. We'll talk more about the sheep-goat effect in future episodes. What you'll notice about all three situations is that they all involve your belief having an effect on whether there is a successful outcome. That applies when a person with stage fright believes he can give a successful speech, when a person believes that Jesus can do a miracle, and when you believe that you could perform successfully on a side test. And that's what we're talking about here, as the ability to influence a random number generator would be a psi ability, namely micro-PK. So in this test, I was trying to be open-minded about it working, but if you'd asked me, I thought it was probably not going to. You could therefore argue that I was on balance a goat in this experiment, which is why I didn't find a throw rug. Can you draw any conclusions from this? Not really. It's only a single overall data point. Or looked at on another level, you could break it down to three data points because I took three journeys in a chain to find the throw rug. Obviously, the more journeys you take in a chain, the greater your chances are that you'll find something corresponding to your intention. I mean, you know, if I took a million journeys in the chain, I would almost certainly come across a throw rug at some point. But I didn't. And even if you count this chain as three data points, the sample size is still just three, and that's way too small to draw any conclusions from. Okay, we're back in the prime timeline where you did find a throw rug. So what implications does that have? Well, it's a data point, but we have to assess its quality and significance. In terms of quality, I'd say it's pretty good. While there are many throw rugs in my area, they're kept indoors. And since I was not planning and did not go indoors, finding one would be quite rare, especially after just three tries. But whether you look at this as a positive result with a sample size of one, the overall chain, or with a sample size of three, the individual trips in the chain, the numbers we're dealing with are way too small. We need either much more dramatic results like finding a throw rug that says, howdy, Jimmy, God loves you on it, <laughs> or much larger numbers, like finding specific improbable objects on 
5,000 out of 10,000 tries. Without higher quality or higher numbers, we really can't form any firm conclusions. So, Jimmy, what's your bottom line on Randonautica and Randonauting? Randonautica is an interesting app. You can definitely use it to explore your area and go places that you haven't been before. If you do, be sure to do it safely. You follow the top 10 pieces of advice they have on staying safe. If you decide to do an intention experiment, do not invoke pagan gods or demons. Mm-mm. Say a prayer asking God's protection if you like. And if you want to do it for more than just entertainment, you'll need to pick a specific concrete intention that is possible but improbable for you to find and that won't be subject to confirmation bias. Excellent. So, Jimmy, what further resources can we offer to the listeners? We'll have a link to the randonautica.com website, also the top 10 ways to randonaut responsibly, 16 happy randonauting experiences, the Global Consciousness Project, a video on some freaky randonautica coincidences that in typical clickbait fashion bills itself as the freakiest. Well, (laughs) maybe. Also an article on confirmation bias. We'll have a YouTube version of the original Seattle TikTok video. So you can see that if you want. It is a bit disturbing. We'll have a link to the police's probable cause document, a random noun generator, the one that I use to pick my random noun, Also, an article on the sheep-goat effect and a link to a picture of the mysterious throw rug that I found. (laughs) It'll be available. Replicas will be available in the store. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, that's it for Randonauting. Let's move on to our mysterious feedback. This time we're getting feedback on our recent episodes on the Pascagoula UFO abductions. Brooke Kennel writes on YouTube, fascinating story. Honestly, if I were in a police station, I would probably assume I was being recorded at all times, whether an officer was in the room or not. I must say, yeah, me too. I must say I'm normally fairly neutral on UFO stories, but I was sort of rooting for these guys, at least to be credible, even if their story had a more mundane explanation. I think I might be biased in their direction because they were blue collar Southerners with thick accents. And as a Texan, I sort of cringe whenever the media picks on people from that background. I know a lot of people who fit that description, and I hate seeing anyone reduced to a caricature. Thank you once again, Jimmy, for being respectful of all people. Thank you. I appreciate it. And as someone who's from the South, even if I don't use an accent all the time, I I totally get that. You know, I'm from Texas. I grew up in the Ozarks. And I get offended at bigoted anti-Southern stereotypes. I was in out here in California. I was in a supermarket and, you know, they have those, I guess you put a quarter in them, you get a little toy, you know, machines for kids and they have hillbilly teeth. Mm. And I'm sorry, that's just a bigoted anti-Southern and specifically anti-hillbilly, you know, like the Ozarks stereotype. Well, I happen to be a hillbilly and my teeth are just fine. Thank you. Right. Also, anytime people, not anytime, but freakishly large percentage of the time. If you see someone on television or in a movie and they've got a Southern accent, they're stupid or greedy or hypocritical or fanatical or or homicidal or something. And all of that is just straight out bigotry. And I have nothing. I want to have nothing to do with that. Mm. 
Same here. Michael M. writes on Facebook, This is the most compelling UFO story I've ever heard. I was expecting Jimmy to totally discredit this story today, but he didn't. I might become a believer. Well, uh, keeping an open mind is always a good thing. And looking at the evidence, I'm not fully persuaded either way on this one. But it, I'm glad that it, it was illuminating for you. Ben P. on Facebook says, I'm not normally big on stories about alien abductions, but I was intrigued not only because of how interesting you make your show, but also because my dad served at Keesler Air Force Base, the base mentioned in the episode, in the mid and late 60s. He didn't mention any aliens, but was always intrigued by the area, probably because it was so different compared to his home in rural Nebraska. Thanks. I'm glad it had the personal connection for you, and I'm glad you enjoyed it, even if you're not a big fan of alien stories. Maria S. on Facebook writes, Jimmy, I love this one. Anything alien is great. And there's the other side of the of the equation. Some people love alien stories. And so here on Jimmy Aiken's Mysterious World, we try to have a balance of topics. So uh, there's something for everybody. Harry writes on Facebook, Coming from my perspective as someone in Scotland, it seems that most of the high-profile UFO abductions, sightings, and landings seem to happen in the USA. And to me, it seems like a big deal is made of such incidents over there. And at least to my perspective, the reports are often over-dramatized and overhyped. While over here, there aren't anywhere near as many reported UFO incidents, and they never seem to get as much attention as those over in the U.S. Why do you think there's such a difference in the number of reported cases? And why is it that in America, they seem to make such big news? Do aliens, if they exist, prefer America? Are they just more likely to go there? As for reporting, is it just the American way to make a big deal of UFOs, or is it just my perspective as news of these incidents come across the UK, or do you really think there's some other reason? So actually, UFO sightings and landings and abductions get reported all over the world. Because this is an English language show, we tend to cover English-speaking cases more, and since the population of the United States is larger, it's, you know, more than five times larger than the population of Great Britain, there are more stories that are easily accessible for research. And so we tend to cover those, though actually the the first modern UFO abduction was not in America. It was in Brazil. And it's the Antonio V.S. Boas, if I'm saying that right, incident. And we may talk about that someday, although there are a few complications in doing that because this is a family show. But because of the fact this is an English language show and the relative population sizes, there will tend to be more on the U.S., though I do try to cover other things like we had the fatal UFO encounters in Colares, Brazil episode for example. And we will be covering British ones like the Rendlesham Forest incident, which is Britain's, for people who may not be aware, it's Britain's most famous UFO landing. And in terms of theoretical stuff, I don't think aliens like America any more than other countries. If anything, if they exist, they may dislike America a little more because we've got this massive nuclear program. And one of the things, even though Britain also has nuclear weapons, we and the Soviet Union have the biggest stockpiles of them. And there are reports that UFOs have a special interest in nuclear weapons facilities. And they might be concerned about what we could do with our nukes if we get off planet with them, for example. So they, they might be attracting attention, extra attention here in America because of our defense program that they're afraid may not stay so defensive. Another thing 
that can happen is the flip side of our defense program, which is all of the special aircraft that we have been developing over the decades that then that exceed the flight capabilities of other aircraft and then get mistaken for UFOs. For example, at Area 51 back in the 60s, they had a couple of aircraft. One was a CIA spy plane called the Oxcart, and then they had a military version of it that became the SR-71 Blackbird. And these things have a design, and they also frequently were not painted because the paint adds extra weight. And so these things, you know, needed to be very fast and as lightweight as they could make them so they could hold more fuel for long range missions. And so they would be these silver planes with no paint on them. And they had this body form such that if you viewed them from the right angle, they looked like a saucer. And because they were reconnaissance planes that needed to fly high and out of the range of weapons, they flew high. And so sometimes the sunlight coming over the horizon would catch them and they would look like they were glowing and flying at altitudes other planes don't fly and going super fast. And of course, they got reported as UFOs. So the American defense program and specifically its aviation program is one reason you've got more UFO reports here. Then there's the fact that some UFO reports are people's imaginations and hoaxes. And that's just a cultural thing. Americans may be more prone to doing that kind of thing than people in other countries. So I think there are a number of possible reasons for this effect. Also, the American media, you could just say, is more sensationalistic than, you know, maybe the BBC. And so consequently, they hype these stories in a way maybe the British press doesn't. Taylor uh, H. on Facebook writes, they could be real. They could be. <laughs> uh, we'll have to find out. <laughs> Nintendo Wear 27 on YouTube writes, I was talking to a co-worker after part one, and he brought up one thing that seemed quite possible. He didn't think Calvin's nervous breakdown happening is questionable. However, what does seem potentially questionable is about why it happened. While, of course, naturally the UFO abduction is what everyone would point to, it seems quite possible that instead it was a nervous breakdown potentially due to continuing to lie about the whole abduction to the world, friends, family, the authorities, etc. If, for whatever reason, he felt forced to continue his lie, I think the stress of the situation could definitely get to a person. And that's possible, although if he did break under the pressure of keeping a lie, you would have expected him at that moment to confess the lie in order to be relieved of the pressure rather than going into a psychiatric hospital and continuing to maintain the lie that was causing him all the stress. For decades afterward, too, you know, to, yeah, until today. Yeah. yeah. Scott Adams writes on YouTube, if no money or fame came about from the abduction story, I don't see the motive for a UFO hoax. Whack job is what most people would think of these men, not brave or pity. Try having a water cooler conversation with your coworkers a week later especially your blue-collar fellow workers who are going to be rather blunt with you about what they think. <laughs> yes. Mike writes on YouTube, you didn't actually decide if you believe them or not. Is it true? Was he really captured by aliens? I can't say for sure one way or the other. When we give the bottom lines on Mysterious World, when Dom asked me, so Jimmy, what's your bottom line? I give you a bottom line summary of where I think the evidence points. Sometimes I think the evidence allows us to be definitive. Like in last episode on Carlos Castaneda, I think there's definitive evidence this guy was a con man. 
But like on today's episode about randonauting, I, I can't be as conclusive because there are parapsychological studies that seem to support the existence of micro PK, but there are also other studies that seem to not support it. And since Randonautica is not a scientifically controlled experiment, I can't firmly decide one way or the other. I can only kind of summarize where I think the data goes. And that applies, I think, also to the Calvin Parker and Charles Hickson abduction. I'm not prepared to say this can never happen because I don't I can't prove that it can never happen. On the other hand, this is one of the better cases. It's one of the better documented cases, but I also don't think we have conclusive proof here. So I'm afraid the bottom line evidence summary is somewhere in the middle for me. Uh, Diego Marino on YouTube writes, Jimmy, what are the possibilities of someday having more editing in these videos that we post on YouTube? Like pictures of the people who are talking or pictures of the locations they're talking about, as well as video of you and Dom when you speak. It's something that Dom and I have talked about, and we'd like to introduce more dynamism into the videos. I'm not sure that we would, I mean, we might experiment with just showing us talking, but it's harder to edit video than it is audio. And we have inserted segments, and there's a lot of complexity in the audio editing alone. One thing that that might be more possible would be like showing you images of the things we're talking about, but we're not at a point of being able to do that right now. We've only just gotten the network to the point of financial stability to where we're meeting our current expenses. If we're able to maintain that and grow that further, then we could be doing things. We could be doing more complex video editing, getting pictures of the things we're talking about, inserting them. We would need additional, you know, we need the resources to do that, to get the pictures and pay for the more complicated editing that we'd be doing. Right. We'd need to bring in an, uh, a video editor to do that. Yeah. Basically. Agreed. Jimmy, what do we have for Mysterious Headlines this week? Well, we have a technology animal human theme since we were talking about interesting applications of technology. Why should it just be for humans with phones? There is now an app that will translate your cat's speech because cats really do have several different kinds of signals and humans are not always perfect at picking out what the cat is trying to tell you. So there is now an app that will indicate based on what your cat is saying, what it's trying to communicate to you. The goal is to eventually have this app embedded in a collar that the cat can wear. And in a prototype for that, you'll see in the article, the inventor, who was one of the people that Amazon had that helped develop Alexa, the inventor was demonstrating the prototype collar holding a cat when it made a particular noise that the collar translated as, I'm angry, please leave me alone. <laughs> that seems, that would probably be a very common response. <laughs> yeah, there's only about nine or so, yeah. <laughs> yes. It reminds me of a Far Side comic years ago where Gary Larson had drawn a guy wandering through a neighborhood that's filled with barking dogs, and he's wearing a headset, and it says something like, Jefferson invented a device to translate dog speech and all of the dogs are going hey 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 <laughs> hey yes. which 
It kind of is what barking does. Yeah. <laughs> yes. It's like the movie Up with the uh, the, the dog, Doug, and squirrel, <laughs> squirrel. Oh, uh, <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> uh, our second story is about another animal technology story. You know, we have genes as human beings, which allow our brains to develop beyond the way other creatures' brains develop and that make us smart. And now scientists have been embedding those in monkeys. What could possibly go wrong? <laughs> Have you never been to the movies? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that seems like a bad idea. Yeah, not only in general, but there are specific movies where this happens. <laughs> yes, yeah. <laughs> yes, exactly. Planet of the Apes. <laughs> yeah. Then as a bonus, now normally we have two headlines, but we've got an event coming up later this week. So this episode's releasing on December 18th. On December 21st, so just in three days, there is a rare conjunction between Jupiter and Saturn. Now, normally, when you have conjunctions described in like astrology or something, it just means they're in the same sign. You know, they're not actually close to each other visually. Well, Jupiter and Saturn are going to be visually so close to each other, they'll look like they're touching. Mm. And this has not happened in 800 years. The last time this happened was in the year 1266, when St. Thomas Aquinas was like one year old. Wow. So this is a very rare encounter. You may want to watch this because it's not going to happen again until 2080. So we'll have a link to that and how you can watch the conjunction. Very good. So, folks, uh, that will about do it for us this time. We want to hear from you. What are your theories about randonauting? And tell us about your randonauting journeys. We'd love to hear uh, where the randonauting takes you. You can let us know online by visiting sqpn.com or the Jimmy Akin's Mysterious World Facebook page. Send us an email to mysterious at sqpn.com or send a tweet to at mys underscore world with the hashtag of mysterious feedback. And Jimmy, what's our next episode going to be about? The next two Fridays fall on Christmas Day and New Year's Day, so we'll be having episodes of Christmas and New Year's Weird Questions. So enjoy the holidays and the Weird Question shows, and we'll be back with another mystery. Excellent. Folks, remember to like this episode on Jimmy Akin's Mysterious World on Facebook and retweet it on Twitter and help get the uh, word out about the show. You can find links to Jimmy's resources from our discussion and links to those mysterious headlines on our show notes at sqpn.com slash mysterious. And remember, to help us continue to produce the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. Until next time, Jimmy Aiken, thank you for exploring with us our mysterious world. Thanks, Dom. And once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to Jimmy Aiken's Mysterious World on StarQuest. <laughs> 